gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we're talking the 1985 action classic Commando on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from the various mountains that surround the Los Angeles area? Sure. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. But this time we're going to unpack all the gory details of Commando because of my secret belief it is a slasher film in the hopes that a soldier of fortune's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we could make about them. And as always, there is only one person I trust to make me a sandwich of components I don't want to know about. The one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? I, I just feel so much lighter. I, I feel that, that <laughs> a new dawn has broken for us. Sure. On, on Kill by Kill. We, we, we've washed the stench of Jason X away and... and- <laughs> Now we're ready. We're ready to start anew. I feel I feel good. I feel clean now. It's so wonderful that the people in this movie, no matter how ludicrous, can have real names, like names of human being. And they're <laughs> and, not all in knits. It's a nice well, twist. Well, you know, the, the, the villain in this does wear a very nice crocheted vest that I'm obsessed with. Oh, my God. I love it. I love everything about this outfit. And you know what? <laughs> we're going to get to talk about it in moments from now. And I, I don't want to alarm you, Gina. I know you've smelled this person downwind, but uh, we are not alone. That's right. Our special guest this week has written for Thrillist, among many other website destinations. He's also the producer of Found Footage 3D, which is currently on Shutter and coming soon to Blu-ray. And of course, you know him from the greatest repository of 80s film knowledge ever laid down for free into your earbuds 80s all over the one the only scott weinberg how you doing scott goodness gracious what a thank you sir thank you gina what what a what a wonderful welcome <laughs> <laughs> i know some people like to have laconic conversations i like to make up for my lack of wit with verve well you do a good job of that no oh, thank you <laughs> <laughs> so scott maybe for for many people at least for me before 80s all over i knew you as a, a horror expert a person who really knew genre now you've written about all sorts of movies but that really came to the forefront with 80s all over because you got, get to see every movie month by month for the entire decade so what do you know the exact month that commando came out in 1985 yeah, i'm gonna look it up october there we go oh wow I that's cheated, really but late yeah. in the year yeah um, but yeah, we'll get to that soon. Drew and I, my illustrious partner, Drew McQueenie and I, we, uh, it's our podcast project where we, you know, do a, a month of movies each, each episode in, in chronological order, of course, because otherwise it would be really silly. And, uh, we get, we will get to this in a couple of, in about a year. We just wrapped up November, 1983. So, mm-hmm. uh, w- as far as Arnie is concerned, we're still basking in the glow of say Conan the Barbarian and about to struggle through Conan the Destroyer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was a real letdown. (laughs) Yeah, and what's fun uh, about Commando, and we'll get into this, uh, my perspective on being an old man is, you know, after Conan the Destroyer, then he did the Terminator, of course, which is one of his most iconic and and brilliant villain roles. And then he was contractually required to be in, in another Conan film, 
But for some reason, I'm going to have to do my double research on this. They had to change the name of the character to Kalidor for Red Sonia. In, which oh, is also man. 1985. So this Commando did not necessarily arrive in the midst of action heyday. Commando was the like, all right, enough of this, these these fantasy cornball movies. We're turning you into a Commando. And, <laughs> and after Commando, then you saw Raw Deal, Predator, Red Heat. That's, you know, Commando is kind of the one that set Arnold on the, you know, the, the, the path of this kind of good guy. And like uh, the Terminator, it sort of has this weird reversal of fortune in terms of it being, at least in my mind, a slasher film. You have a person who has been wronged and then goes about killing off the the people who have wronged him, you know, in a 10 to 15 minute clip in spectacular ways. And just at the very cusp of Freddy coming into Vogue, he's not quite into the zippy dialogue quite yet. But he's still, you know, like, I'm the brains of the operation and chopping off his fingers with a smile sort of thing. So we have someone who's bringing a lot of personality to the kills, at least a lot of puns to the kills. Yes. Oh, yeah. This this movie has more puns and quips in it than possibly any other action movie of the 80s. And, and that is why it is the greatest action movie of the 80s. I, I unironically love this movie. Oh, I, I do as well, Gina. I, I was reading. Well. I was reading an article about it. That said, "Oh, it was kind of a a you know a boys movie," which all right, fine. But I just I love this movie so much. It's just it's wonderful in every possible way. Never really understood the whole uh, if if a movie has a lot of men in it, especially half dressed muscular men. That to me seems like it would be appealing to a lot of women. I, I you know like my grandmother used to watch First Blood Part Two, and I never thought. Hmm, is she into Sylvester Stallone? But my grandmother watched action movies like nobody's business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first shot of him is, is you know, a bicep. You don't even see his face at first. It's just a bicep. <laughs> it's sweaty muscle in, in very tight close-up. Uh, it's, yeah. The, the problem that we're not going to run into with Commando is this is too subtle. It, it just finds the pedal on the floor and stomps the fuck out of it. Yeah, it's not it's not a deep movie. It is it is very much an A to B to C adventure movie with it, sure enough kind of a merciless uh, constant tone and and I think it's a lot of fun. It also contains one of my probably my favorite Arnold line ever, which is what he says to Sully. I love that. Yes. I love that. <laughs> it there, there's a lot of of wit going on here there's a lot of that 80s supposition of knowledge what well, we're gonna get to let let's let's just get right into the the meat of the film right away we open on a garbage truck you know standard action movie trope always with the garbage trucks good morning glendale if you wanted to know where i grew up the opening of this movie is my childhood it's very brown and green hills, long cul-de-sacs, and just insanely stupid driveways and dragging metal trash cans towards your doom. In a this panic. This is my childhood. In a panic. I mean, like, he's just like, fuck. he's like, oh my God, I gotta get out of bed and take the garbage truck, <laughs> garbage cans out. It's like, I mean, I, I don't know about anywhere else, but we get garbage service two days out of the week. So generally you're not frantically dumping all your garbage and running around in your pajamas out to, to, to catch up with the trash men. I have in my time. In Philly, it's once a week. And normally if you miss it, it's like, oh, well, I'll put it in the garage or I'll put it in the trash can until next week. Big deal. But sometimes, like, if you got to get rid of that cat litter or something, I, I... <laughs> 
Now I'm a dog owner and I, I know Scott, you're a cat owner and Gina, you have a cat as well. Is this proper cat litter disposal technique to just hoist it up with one hand and, and, and bump it into an open and a half open garbage can? Cause that seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, especially when you're like half awake. <laughs> Yeah, it is um, an interesting setup. And how long does it take until we cut from suburbia to bicep? Oh, it, uh, we have very quick cuts. The, these these first opening, this cold open, as it were, is is pretty damn quick. I, I think you're there within six, seven minutes. Well, fortunately, I, I get to be on the part of the show that includes the the credits. And that's, that, that opens up all sorts of avenues for us to discuss. Director Mark Lester, uh, who we've covered on 80s all over, um, on Class of 1984, which is a really fun... B movie. I'm sure you guys have seen that one. Nice. Uh, and uh, he also did Firestarter prior to this. And uh, Mark Lester, pretty prolific as a director and a producer, not always uh, 100% on the uh, final product, but a, a, an interesting journeyman director. Yeah. I mean, 1984 has a lot going on for it. It gets a little uh, rapey in that third act, but it's it's very mean spirited. And that, that sequence in the classroom where the teacher just it's the loser. Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell. Oh, I love that part. I, I was going to say that one of the things that makes Commando uh, so great is its lack of rapiness. I mean, because that just <laughs> that just seems to be a a very much a trope in in eighties action movies. Yeah, regret, regrettably. I agree, and I, I think in most cases it's a, just a, a a a simple case of bad writing, which is. Oh, we want to make the villain evil. Okay. He's robbed a bank and he's killed three people. Well, in act three, we need to up the evil. So he's groping and maybe going to rape this woman as if to remind the audience you're supposed to hate him. And that's just lazy. You don't throw that in there, you know, as a reminder, you know, that's just, that's not the kind of thing you should do. And a lot of eighties films did it. It was like, that was the taboo of like, now he's crossed the line. It's lazy. Honestly, the, the most offensive thing the uh, the villain does in this is is you know, Dan Hedaya's accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he sounds like Speedy Gonzalez giving a very solemn TED talk. It's weird. <laughs> Dan Hedaya with that accent, most people know him as, from Cheers, he says the line, Loretta, that's Dan Hedaya. <laughs> and here he has got a very thick Hispanic accent. And Latino accent is not flattering. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not his strong suit um, great character actor though great fantastic great. love seeing dan hadaya in anything yep and this same is this the same year that uh running scared came out because he's no the following so, year i believe that would, i think year. that's 86 with billy crystal and uh uh, Gregory Hines, yeah. Yes. Yacht Rock, the action film. <laughs> I look forward to revisiting Running Scared. Have not seen it since probably the 90s. Big fan of Peter Hyams, but uh, I'm, I'm fully prepared for it to look like a clunky Beverly Hills cop knockoff. <laughs> yeah, I, well, yeah, th- there's part of that. I, I think there's also the the, the racism <laughs> ah, yeah. of it uh, comes to the fore, but I, I think it's, man, oh, it's, well, it's of its time. There's a lot of good in it, too. I mean, it's, it's a minefield going back through older films because... You know, Breakfast at Tiffany's is a great film. And then you see Mickey Rooney and you're like, what am I watching? Or you'll be seeing like a great old Disney cartoon. And then it's like some very garish, ugly racial stereotype. And you're like, ah, and all you can do is just be reminded that we have evolved. We can learn from those things. Yeah. To make uh, too fine a point on it. uh, The person that we've been talking about, this guy is a guy named Lawson. Not that I think he's ever 
uh, his name is never spoken up up until much later. And his wife, Leslie, they have the standard movie slash TV marriage in the 1980s. He's balding and middle-aged and she's the hottest woman you've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, She has gone to bed in full fucking makeup because (laughs) why wouldn't you? It just makes her look all the better when Lawson wakes up as sweaty as if he had the night sweats and he's just out of a NyQuil haze. (laughs) every surface of their bedroom from their skin to the blanket to the pajamas is yet another shade of crayon flesh there's rubber chewed bubblegum stretch armstrong mento left in the sun silly putty they got it all it is not a strong suit of this very close-up of them, but uh, we get the idea. He hears that trash truck from a, a bajillion miles away. But you know, this is how Matrix has trained his men, so they they're hyper aware of their surroundings. And he 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 runs guns a blazing, not literally, uh, with trash cans in his hand to get out uh, and get that garbage to uh, what he assumes is a garbage truck. Yeah, this and is, uh, this is an interesting plan that these mercenaries have because it it, it relies on a significant amount of chance yeah that that he would give a shit about whether or not he missed getting his garbage out that's something you see in a lot of 80s action films if you see once you watch them two or three times you go wait in order for that to work the henchman had to know he'd go upstairs that night yeah and that's a lot that's a lot of things that's a lot of what we see in the friday the 13th movies is just this sort of predetermined like you know the only way this kill would work is if he knew you were going to be standing behind that exact tree at that exact time precisely again and that that's maybe more on the director but <laughs> than the writer <laughs> but uh two other some people we can uh, throw some love to in this movie um the late great james horner Yes, it, it, it just it just hitting his stride in the 80s. And uh, this is a fun score. It is evocative of some of his other uh, music. You'll definitely hear bits of 48 hours and stuff in there. Surprisingly steel drum heavy. Very. <laughs> and he did a lot of steel drums. I made a comment about one of his other scores recently. And a friend of mine on Twitter said, dude, 48 hours. And uh, this one is very similar to a lot of his stuff. But I love just the, the vibe. He got action. He got what, you know, when you hear the this, the opening score for this movie, you're like, I get it. This is an action movie. He's repeating a lot of 48 hour vibes. He would go on to repeat the steel drum accents of it in Project X. And you also get the uh, drumstick claps that he will repeat a year later in Alien that I love from Aliens. But oh, yeah, that's very distinctive sound. This is the first time I heard it in here. Oh, Gorky Park. I'm sorry. I had to look it up. Uh, Gorky Park is the one that Drew and I just covered. It's a relatively obscure but very good uh, mystery thriller from 83 with William Hurt. And James Horner, that was the film I watched and I was going, that sounds like 48 Hours and and Commando. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now I got to watch that. Yeah, Gorky Um, Park. Very good film. Yeah, they had to have done some sort of research on him or in previous missions, he was always complaining about the garbage. Like, if I don't get the garbage cans out. (laughs) Like they're in a foxhole and like cover the left flank. He's like, ah, it's garbage day. I just feel like I'm not really here. There maybe there was a long flashback scene of the day that his entire platoon was wiped out. He was supposed to wake up to take out the trash, but he overslept. And then (laughs) his entire platoon got massacred. And now just trash trucks like trigger him. That would be an explanation. And I would buy it. The trash truck makes a very special delivery. And that is, 
Bill Duke. Bill Duke is fucking fantastic. In almost every film he is in, he he contains an absolute gravitas that you cannot buy from anybody else. Yes. And the great thing about Bill Duke is that obviously he's intense looking, so he can be a villain without lifting an eyelash. But when he gets to play someone's friend or a good guy or a positive authority figure, you're like, oh, my God, I like this even more. He is a movie star in that sense that your eye is immediately drawn to him and you want to know more about him. On the badass scale of Bill Duke performances, is this better than dry shaving in a jungle? No. Oh, no, no. That's the top. Oh, God. No, I, that, yeah, I, he's much more colorful in in, um, in in Predator. But yeah, just anytime you see just that most that's why most movie geeks are such huge character actor fans. You're watching the credits, you're watching the credits and then like seventh build. It's like Bill Duke. And and you're like, ah, there's something, you know, like already I'm happy. I'm going to see <laughs> Bill Duke in this movie. <laughs> Uh, He does hold an Uzi sideways. That's the only time I've ever seen anyone hold an Uzi sideways that wasn't uh, cascading down uh, a stairway uh, ramp or anything like that. So that was neat. The thing about interesting thing about Bill Duke is that this movie kind of ignited his career. He he was in American Gigolo, but that was five years prior. And after this, of course, he did Predator and then uh, Action Jackson and he did uh, Bird on a Wire. So uh, we. Payback, he did. He always worked with Mel Gibson plenty of times. So it's like safe to say that he had done work before. But I think Commando is kind of what just cemented him as if you're doing any kind of action movie, good guy or bad guy, you want Bill Duke. It's a smart move. In fact, he he gets to be the one who delivers this opening pun uh, where Lawson comes down and says, oh, I thought I thought you, I was going to miss you. And he goes, ah, no, we're not going to miss you. <laughs> and they shoot him a bazillion times. Yeah, now what had what would have happened if he hadn't come out? That's a good question. Would they have tried yeah. again next week, next Tuesday morning? Just put they would have they would have put a note on his door saying, sorry, I missed you. <laughs> yeah, what kind of timeline are they really on? Like what would like I just want to see the alternate take where it's like, ah shit, his trash is out on time. Damn it. Damn it. Where they have to start picking up other people's trash, like sooner or later. I just like uh, I got an idea. Why don't I sit in front of his house until he comes out? <laughs> <laughs> as, as we find as we find out, I mean, these people have no problem just killing people in broad daylight. See, that's that's something interesting. You know, collateral damage is something that has waned in more recent decades. Uh, in the 80s, it was like a, a, it was almost like playing poker. You're what you're watching an action movie and it's like, oh, he killed a good guy. Oh, he now he kidnapped the girl. Oh, he just killed seven people in a mall. And that's all in. And now we're all in because this guy just killed seven innocent people. We are now all in. Uh, yes. Uh, so um, Lawson is then once even when he's down, they're like, yeah, let's make sure. And they shoot him an extra million times. This is how you know your crew is filled with professionals. Cut to Bill Duke at a Cadillac dealership in Encino. Across the street are uh, one of those L.A. burger joints where every sign that's on every surface advertises a different specialty. <laughs> a, rest, a small restaurant can't have that many specialties. It's like, save something for the menu. If you do taquitos and fried chicken, that's a problem Maybe for that's the whole restaurant, man. Maybe it's just called specials. <laughs> Every single day, it's a brand new menu of a la carte specials. <laughs> also across the street is a Moby Discs. Oh, you know, I mean, you're in, are you born in L.A.? 
Yes. So how fun is it for you to see stuff like I was born and raised in Philly? So when I see movies from the 70s and 80s, I'm like, wow, Philly looks a lot different. But that's just a great snapshot. So it, 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 Philly's got a lot of history. L.A., not so much. It must be interesting, though, to see the quote unquote old school L.A. L.A. hates history. Um, we try to erase it for some reason, um, probably because we forced a lot of people off of their land uh, because they spoke a different language. That has something to do with it. Uh, it's like poltergeist around here. We build houses on top of graveyards or more specifically the entire country. but LA especially has that, that history down, but there's something about just wanting to erase anything that was maybe two or three decades old. It's a very uniquely LA thing. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's always fun to see parts of town that I haven't seen since I was a child. And we learned that this salesman is, his name is Forstall. He's wearing a mock turtleneck under a suit jacket. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which in the valley, like he's got fucking balls. Wait, I, I gotta ask, how old are you? What, what year were you born? Uh, I was born in seventy one. Oh, oh my god, we're the same age. Holy yeah. shit! Uh, <laughs> no, I was gonna say because like that wasn't that uncommon of a look back then. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was the, fairly common. Oh the yeah, other, yeah, that was definitely a thing with like with like the uh, the members only jackets and all. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was because I, I was born in seventy two. So yeah, that was definitely a, God, a thing. We are so beautifully old. <laughs> oh, every podcast I guest on, I'm like twice as everybody's like twenty seven, and they're like beautiful, wonderful young people <laughs> yeah we we uh we've got like we've had some guests on it's like oh well i, I watched friday 13th part eight when i was like 10 and i was like i think i was an adult by that yeah, point <laughs> well that's the beautiful thing about the generation thing is like i really believe that like movies help generations relate to one another because like a 21 year old girl has a movie that is as special to her as princess bride or uh, the dead zone is to me. And while she might not have the same movie as me, she knows that feeling. She knows like, Oh, he loves that movie from his childhood as much as I love mean girls or whatever it may be, you know? So, yes. you know, that that's the beauty of, of movies. Part of it. The, the very nice thing is that uh, when someone, you know, and they'll always, you know, admit like, is it weird that I haven't seen X? And like, no, you get to see that for the first time. What what a what a joy that you haven't seen Jaws. Until right. You might right. If somebody like, says, should oh. I be embarrassed that I haven't seen Jaws? I'd be like, look, the fact that you're asking that question says you think you should watch it. So, no, you shouldn't. But I mean, I mean, no, you shouldn't feel shame. But yes, you should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> there are a ton of things in the 50s and 60s that are gaps for me that I should probably have watched at this point in my Dude, life. I know movie geeks who've seen twice as many films as me and that like we all have our blind spots, man. I, I, I freely admit that uh, I don't know much about the French New Wave. Uh, for years, I didn't know much about film noir and I wanted to. So I entrenched myself in film noir for a year and a half and became a fanatic for those films. Every There's no, no historian, critic, fan knows everything about every genre in every era that, that anybody who claims to know even half of everything is a fool. And it's the joy of discovery because if you have not been there, it is virgin territory for you and you might find a thing that lights your brain on fire. For me, uh, the thing that really lit my brain on fire in this sequence was that Forrestal is wearing the dry look hairstyle. Uh, it appears to have been fashioned to look like that mashed potato mountain that Richard Dreyfus makes in Close Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he uses the term brother in a way that I am uncomfortable with. Um, Bill Duke does not react to it. I think because 
he's planning to murder death, kill him in about five seconds. Yes. Now, the actor who plays uh, Forrestal is a guy named Michael Delano. And uh, this probably is very familiar to Gina because she spent a lot of time in the Super Train gulag. And <laughs> wasn't he on Super Train? <laughs> I think that he was. Now, now that you mention it, I, I, <laughs> I'm still working through the trauma of that. And thank you so much for bringing it up. Uh, it, the movie did it. I didn't. <laughs> I, I just made an observation. I'm, I'm looking through Michael Delano's credits and good God, does he have a lot of TV yeah. credits? Wow. Yeah, he was on ABC. Uh, I, I know a lot. him by faith. I don't really know his work. He's one of these guys who bounced around and was just, you know, one line in a sitcom 10 times a year kind of guy. No, he's probably, you know, a working class actor. He probably was able to have a house for himself and maybe a couple of wives. I'm just assuming. Hey, he played a casino manager in Ocean's 11 and 12. There we go. There we go. Soderbergh remembered him from Good his for you, Michael stint. Delano. Right. Yeah. So Delano does not last very long here because as, as soon as he is done uh, purporting the great uh, uh, leaps forward in vinyl seating technology, uh, Bill Duke backs that car up and then rockets forward. Here's the great thing about this sequence. And this shit just doesn't happen anymore. Bill Duke is driving that car inside the dealership before the cutaway. Michael Delano <laughs> jumps on the hood of that car before the cutaway. You just, people don't take the time to get those shots anymore. And it is visceral how he gets defenestrated through this window. It is fantastic. In broad daylight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no what, I like about, what I like about this is uh, it's kind of like um, what Carpenter does early in Assault on Precinct 13. Uh, mm-hmm. by shooting a, a child at a at an ice cream truck. He's basically telling you, you can't relax, all right? So by having this guy kill this guy in, in broad daylight out in the middle of nowhere, Mark Lester essentially is telling the audience, this carnage can happen at any moment. So <laughs> don't fall asleep. <laughs> um, yeah, Forrestal lands in a real funky way. They even have a shot of him where his right leg is turned the opposite direction. So you know... He's just not, he doesn't just have ketchup on his face. Like that character is D-E-A-D. Yeah, it's really interesting how that, that kind of stuff works is like you, 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 things you catch watching movies is, oh, that car blew up. And oh, oh, wait, we saw the two guys get out there they, they, before the car blew up. They got out. And then in other movies, you like you, it's not just enough to linger on the, the corpse to show that the character is now gone. No, no, I want the leg to be twisted and the face to be in a grimace. And I wanted to like, now we're telling the audience, he died badly. <laughs> These people are not fucking around. Uh, cut to Long Beach, California. That's right, baby. Just 10 minutes away from me. We're down by the docks where all the action happens. Enter Bennett. Uh, he's just your average fisherman with 15 shades of olive green on. Uh, he spies two assa- the two assassins that we've seen in two other murders, and he just Gives a sly smile to himself. It's important to point out that that uh, Bennett is played by um, an actor called what's the actor's name? Uh, all, Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells, right? Who is best known for playing the guy, the playing Wes, the guy who screams a lot in the Road Warrior movies. He <laughs> he screams That's a true. lot, wears some questionable bondage gear because all that's left in the the apocalypse in in Australia is potato sacks and bondage clothing. <laughs> 
Um, he essentially plays the exact same character in in Weird Science. Correct. Who is just he just conjured up a biker gang to. And I remember seeing that going. Wait, he looks exactly like. <laughs> is it? It's not just meant to be an homage. Is it meant to be the literally the same character? I, I think, think it, it is. is the same character, yeah. even though he he got crushed between the front end of a of the two front ends of a truck in 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 the road warrior but it's that's i mean he's must be in other things but that's pretty much the these are the only roles i know him from i'm just looking at his page he also did interspace with joe dante he's got a ton of credits on things i haven't seen Oh, that's right. He was in Inner Space. I do remember also playing the villain, I believe. I don't think he's ever not played a villain. Yeah, he's a very prolific Australian character actor, Vernon Wells. But this this character, I think, is is unique. And, and we'll get into it over the course of the film. But I feel like Bennett is this film's secret weapon. Because he's just so out of outer space in comparison to anyone else around him. It is so when Arnold Schwarzenegger wakes up on that table after being shot with a tranquilizer dart and you look around as if he was a young elephant <laughs> <laughs> or a velociraptor, just like some sort of big game. And you look around and you, if you just took Arnold Schwarzenegger out of it, you're like, is this an A-team reboot? These people have nothing to do with one another. Which one is the the face who who who, who sexes up the ladies, and which one drives the car? Yeah, it, they are just you never would have put these people together. If but I the bet, idea that he has sort of makes sense. Yeah, Ben Ben kind of I sort of think of him as evil Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury with 50 extra pounds and, and <laughs> retaining the same sex drive. I love this villain. He is a force of nature, way, ridiculously over the top. That film went through a lot of rewrites and production issues, as you know, you, you'll see as you get into Act 3 and wonder to your future uh, guest, why would somebody who on the rise like Bill Paxton be cast in this movie and then not used <laughs> at all? And uh, there are reasons for that. It's because the movie got, you know, recut at the last minute. And I'm surprised, I'm impressed that it came out so, so easy because man, <laughs> it, I mean, it's got what, three story credits uh, and a screenwriter credit by Steven D'Souza who wrote Die Hard right before this or co-wrote mm-hmm. Die Hard. It just seemed to like put the stamp down that like, these are the action movies we're going to be making for the next several years. I think it gets away from it because it's very lean and mean. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of, I mean, we're picking at the bones <laughs> this for comedy purposes if you were if you were to just let it wash over you i don't think you would notice all of these things but that's kind of our raison d'etre here yeah uh and just so everyone knows spoiler alert for a movie that came out 33 years ago uh that guy ain't dead he wasn't on the boat this is this is a texas switch so we cut to very tight shots of muscles and what appears to be someone with a chainsaw for a dick who is it why it's our killer i'm sorry it's our hero john matrix he's um, horrific in every way except he's, there's a little girl you're like wait a minute what did he is that his daughter what, he looks like a troll living in the top of a mountain why does he have a child there he, he literally makes his entrance carrying an entire tree over one shoulder <laughs> It's a great shot. This is, is the best great. entrance any character has ever made in any movie ever. Yeah, yeah it's He just great. casually slung a tree over his shoulder. In HD, you get to see every dot of sweat on that <laughs> massive 
mound of muscle on his on his bicep. You're like, what am I looking at? It's such a tight shot. John Matrix is one hell of a guy. I got, we can tell. Sorry to interrupt. I just got a note. I asked Stephen D'Souza, who I'm friendly with on Twitter, if he had any uh, insights into Act One of Commando that we could Ooh. mention on the podcast. And he said, "You'll love this. The whacking in the driveway on recycling day was shot at my house." What? <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Oh my god, that is fan fucking tastic. Yeah, I'm I sorry, uh, but he, he's. I got the dots, which means he's sending me something else. He is a, uh, a if you're not uh, familiar, he is on Twitter at uh, Stephen E. D'Souza. Uh, and he's a very fun, cool uh, presence on Twitter. Yes, he is. Uh, he's a lot of fun, too. He, he always comes in with a, a nice uh, curveball every once in a while. Um, while we wait for him to respond, yeah, we see him chop would <laughs> for almost sexual gratification <laughs> is how he's taking to it. This might be the most emotion he shows in the entire film shopping wood. Uh, but wait a second. He senses something behind him. Is it that deer? Is it that shadow? Well, very subtly. Oh, I'm sorry. Not subtly at all. He uses the shiny end of the ax in the least, least stealthy manner possible to see that his attacker is Alyssa Milano. <laughs> <laughs> he picks her up and shakes her like a baby he wants to have shut up. He just... That is it's not the way you treat a 12 year old girl. It's just to pick her up and go <laughs> to her. But she's just like, oh, daddy. Like, she's just... <laughs> She's just used to, you know, being shaken about like like you know a dog with his puppy in its mouth. I remember being very jealous of Alyssa Milano, thinking, God, that would be great if that was my dad. I mean, he he lifts her up like she's made of paper. Now, this brings us to an element of this movie that when when I saw it again, I said, Oh, this is the reason we need to do this movie on Kill by Kill. And that is because this opening credits montage of father-daughter fun. If you didn't know that she was the daughter, your mind would go to, is this some sort of romantic montage? <laughs> if you replace the James Horner theme with Herman Hermit's I'm into something good, <laughs> it would not feel out of place. It is really odd. It feels well, like uh, yeah, I, I they suppose, meet cute. Yeah, that's kind of like today's impulse. I, I think it just obviously traces back to the what's the simplest most in most direct way to make a hulking ball of testosterone uh <laughs> relatable sweet uh uh likable you make mm-hmm. him a father yeah and then of course what if he's a super hulking he-man he's the father of a little girl because there's some you know conflict there's some you know so i don't know i i like i like that uh, do they ever explain what happened to the to they don't mama? mention they don't mention the mother at all like like no at all but i think i think the thing that that kind of throws you a little bit about this sequence is i guess the daughter's supposed to be 10 11 years old maybe and he's yeah. just carrying her around like she's like she's like a toddler just you know on his hip and just you know tossing her about like you know like a like a like a sack of laundry it's like you don't yeah i think that's just a shorthand for he's the great dad <laughs> yeah, is, I think that but i mean my dad stopped carrying me around when i was probably maybe five or six I don't think my dad ever picked me up once. (laughs) (laughs) I think some of the elements that, that also don't help the father daughter relationship is the fact that his face looks like 
oh, I don't know, a killer robot from the future. He doesn't <laughs> relate to her in a human way. And possibly because at that time he had not had children. This is a completely foreign concept for him. I don't think he had been married. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. It could be very, very pointed why they made his, why he wanted to do a something, well, not domesticated, but somewhat domestic father after playing immediately after playing a a, a brainless robot. You know, it was like, okay, we got to make you a little more human to people because (laughs) I mean, he tries, God bless him. He tries. I mean, he even tries to make a dad joke, which is, which is my favorite line in the entire movie is him commenting on boy, picking up a teen magazine and commenting on boy, George making the, the ultimate most unoriginal joke when it came to boy, George at the time. Oh my God. It is a brilliant <laughs> is that, is that, this is a boy no, no why it's why, why don't they just call him girl george and it was it would, it would cause less confusion oh dad <laughs> like there's some social commentary from one of our four screenwriters like <laughs> take that boy george got you in my act, in my big action film i just had to take a swipe at boy george for no reason <laughs> I I wonder if it was written or I wonder if there was just a cream magazine lying around. He's like, what, what is some business? Right. And this is what he what came up with. What if I say should be girl George. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Milano does get back at him. And I never noticed it until this, this watch where she goes, oh, you're so old. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Old person. Take that. <laughs> Meanwhile, how old is Schwarzenegger in this movie? In like 30, 34? Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I, you're super old, man. <laughs> <laughs> Those attitudes are old and you take that and show Well, that's it. a universal, that's a great evergreen joke is no matter yes. how young your dad is, you're, to you, he's old. Yes, absolutely. Just a couple other quick moments uh, in this montage uh, is that they feed a deer who looks like he's been chained to the ground. Uh, The deer does not look comfortable and does not move its legs. And it's really odd. They also go fishing and Arnold is wearing seersucker shorts. Oh, God. He's a fucking Marilyn dandy. I remember watching this going, I could just see them in wardrobe going, there's nothing he could wear while fishing that wouldn't look silly. Like nothing. <laughs> like what is the most, you know, out of left field pair of shorts that we could put him in that might soften him up a bit. Like that moment in Tootsie where they go, I want to make her look a little bit more attractive. Where, how far can you pull back? Because how about Cleveland? The seersucker shorts are this movie's how about Cleveland? <laughs> And of course, all this whole montage is just to set up what a great dad he is, how devoted, how they're out in the middle of nowhere. And woe is to whatever villain happens to uh, invade this territory. Yes, it is uh, bad news. It's really underlined by the fact that uh, uh, we get uh, a uh, heart, a a paper heart decorated by his daughter that is uh, uh, put up on it with a magnet onto the refrigerator uh, that says, I love you, dad in living color font. Um, (laughs) And they also have a kiss that makes me uncomfortable. They sit down for uh, a lunch of sandwiches, uh, fruit juice in a giant jug, and possibly two bowls of tomato wedges. They could be strawberries, but I couldn't figure it out. I thought it was apple wedges. (laughs) It seems out of nowhere we get that great uh, girl George line, which is... uh, mm -hmm. And then he asks 
we, he bites into the sandwich and then another one of his second, I don't know what, what sense this would be that he has. It's beyond six. Might it be a seventh sense? And he goes, what is in this? And his daughter goes, uh, you don't want to know. Well, no, now I want to know. Now that's all I want to know. What did you fucking put in this sandwich? Yeah, is it like, you know, eggs and broken glass? Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> right. know. What is, you I don't, don't, don't want to know. It's either peanut butter and jelly or it's turkey breast or a cheese. <laughs> like, what do you mean? What is it? Is it rotten deer meat? What? <laughs> <laughs> Remember that deer? <laughs> I killed it, but I didn't get it, you know, cut off. I didn't I, get I'd, I'd be like, I'd put the sandwich down and go, no, no, no. Now I do want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know all the details about the sandwich. I was trying to make conversation, but what am I eating? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but his his journey through this mystery sandwich is cut off by a helicopter. This is extrasensory perception number three. Uh, I guess he feels the helicopter on the wind. Sure. Uh, out of this copter emerges Colonel Troutman. No, um, I'm sorry. Major General Franklin Kirby, uh, who is in Richard Corinna cosplay, just reminding everybody about First Blood and how awesome First Blood is. Um, but obviously they felt like uh, people know that when a, a guy shows up in one of those army tent hats, they mean business. I always thought if Arnold was American or could do a convincing American accent, how interesting First Blood would be with him in that role. Oh, uh, yeah. It w- I think it would be interesting. Irreg- irregard- irregardless is not a word. Regardless. If he even said, uh, I was a first generation, you know, and we ran from, my parents ran from the Nazis. Right. Or, or I was born in America, ran- but my my parents are Austrian or who cares? But I Who just, cares? I, Whatever I, it was. Yeah. Gina, what do you think of First Blood? Do you like that one? Uh, I, I, I do. I mean, it's a little, it's a little grim. I, I, I like the more of the fun action movies, although, or I like the ones that are totally over the top in their grimness, like Cobra. Yeah. That's the, I, I could talk for hours. I hope we get the chance to do Cobra at some point, Patrick. I, why not? Let's well, if you were to while. ask me, Scott, what action movies of the eighties most look like horror movies, I would have put a, a red circle around Cobra before Commando, but they're both good choices. Hey, I think we need to get to Cobra at some point because I need to talk about that. Uh, photo shoot with robots yes <laughs> i just remember when cobra came out and obviously you guys do as well because again i'm used to dealing with people who are 15 years younger than me <clears throat> whom i love but um like stallone and schwarzenegger films didn't really get very good reviews but cobra was eviscerated for being particularly brutal and nihilistic whereas stuff like commando and even even rambo 2 weren't weren't eviscerated or, or criticized quite as much so i i just remember when i when I think of Cobra, I usually think of like, oh, yeah, that's the one action movie where he kind of went maybe a little too far, at least for mainstream critics back then. I think if it had leaned actually more into being a, a Satanist slasher movie that happens to have a cop in it, I think a lot of its rep comes from that opening supermarket sequence where it is trying very hard to be a Dirty Harry film. And if it didn't try to do that so much, I think it would probably be a lot better for it. I uh, yeah, it would be a lot more. It would be a bit more original. A cop, a cop, a, a brutal cop going up against a brutal cult. You know, like that's more interesting to me than another cop procedural. Uh, we have a bonus episode coming up on '80s All Over in which the illustrious Nathan Rabin gave me the information that Cobra was an 11th hour cut, and it was like 25 or something minutes longer. 
to, to his knowledge, there is no extended cut available, but the, the, he know he had read that a good segment of Cobra's uh, uh, segments were just cut at the 11th hour on Cobra. So uh, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe it was more interesting or maybe it was worse. Who knows? I think part <laughs> of the brevity is part of the quality. I like. <laughs> yeah. I, my favorite part of Cobra is the fact that it, it was a book uh, by another author um, that he then said the novelization, I would like it myself to be listed as the author. Co-author, co-author. <laughs> yeah, Nathan broke out. Every, every Stallone fan breaks out that anecdote. I'm glad you did, and Nathan did as well. But yeah, look that up, that, that Stallone wanted co-author credit on a novel that had already been published. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then oh it, got another tidbit from Mr. Yes. D'Souza. Okay. Let me put on my reading glasses. This just in. Also shot in my very tropical backyard was the black and white memory flashback of Vietnam, but we couldn't use much of because Vernon Wells replaced an actor. Uh, I said, who was Bennett beforehand? And he said, Wings Hauser, I think. What? (laughs) And he sent me a photo. He sent me a photo. He said, you tell me he is center. And I I think it is Wings Hauser. So uh, there's an exclusive for your. Wonderful podcast. Holy shit. <laughs> what did Wingshauser do to get fired off of this movie? He seems like he'd be a difficult person to work with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's watched Vice Squad knows that he has an ability to be crazy at the drop of a dime, which is nuts because he was a soap opera actor before that. Yeah, and I don't want to obviously tell stories that are not true, but I get the impression that Wingshauser was kind of, let's say, when he wasn't working, let's say, capricious and unreliable. <laughs> let's just put it that way and be nice. I, I could be wrong. I could be completely yeah. wrong. No offense to Cole Hauser's dad. <laughs> uh, you know, people make mistakes. Do um, we, oh, we do. Do we get to Sully? We, we're we're trying to chew through it. All right, let's get back on track here. Okay, so uh, Troutman, let's. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kirk Kirby. Kirby's Kirby's the actual uh, character name. Kirby uh, lets Matrix know um, that people are killing off uh, his former squad members. And he says it could be anyone, Syrians, South Americans, Russians, a terrorist group. Now, well, hold the phone. South Americans? He's viewing this like it's a group. Like, did they all pitch in Like when you get fries (laughs) for the table? Like, wait, wait, where haven't you killed people? You know, like... He's killed a lot of people. It's like, maybe uh, you deserve this, man. Like, are you the hero? <laughs> that's the thing. I don't know. You know, is this really like a weird version of Slaughter High? Where, <laughs> where we're kind of rooting for him to kill assholes? I don't know. It's like uh, if we had had a prequel, maybe we'd be like, God damn, John Matrix deserves to get shot. But <laughs> the daughter is innocent, so. Yeah. That's that's where everything, you know, cuts apart. But he leaves two army men behind and flies off. And of course, as soon as that helicopter is gone, we get another seventh sense flash uh, across Matrix's face. So, you know, like he moves a nostril. That's about all you get. Well, wait, wait. But here's you, the thing. Here's the thing, though. Like, like the um, who was uh, the his the captain again? What was the name? Kirby. He, Kirby, yeah. yeah. So he tells him he's going to leave two of his soldiers behind, and uh, and Matrix asks, "Are they any good?" And he goes, "He is not as good as you," which is which is definitely correct because they are killed almost immediately. <laughs> like he's not the helicopter is barely 
out of out of visual range before they are both just shot to 10,000 pieces. We don't get their names. I don't even think we see one of their uh, one guy's face. He's yeah, just no. shot at a distance. <laughs> you don't know anything about them or they just be they they are like people in Friday the 13th movies. They're at Crystal Lake. Guess what? You're in the way. This is a Godzilla movie and you're gone. Um, Matrix smells those assassins though. And he tells Jenny to hide under her bed. Um, And then Arnold makes a sprint for his rifle vault, which thank God is locked with a two digit code. Two digits. (laughs) Two. That's a secret code is 19. There's a, I don't know if either of you have seen, um, sorry to bother you yet, mm-hmm. but there is no. a, there is a, a great gag in which he, uh, he gets to take an elevator up to where people who are power callers, which are like the next level of the company he works for and a security code. And for about almost a full minute is just this person punching in this endless security code that is dozens of digits long and it's just it's just I, I just thought of that because just he has a two-digit code that's that's better than one two three four five um but he, he grabs a couple of guns and he's he's off to the races and he, he runs up to the second floor of this cabin which has a door on it is this like the Winchester summer cabin? Yeah. Are there like wings that lead to nowhere? <laughs> I don't understand the architecture here, but whatever. We need a, which is like, mm, nice cabin. We, uh, we need a door here. <laughs> All right. I'll build a door. <laughs> All right. Well, no reason for it, but door. <laughs> you can just walk out on the roof as you mm-hmm. do. And uh, Matrix meets up with assassin number one. He states, listen, we got your daughter. We've kidnapped her. So you need to listen uh, in order to get her back. And Arnold just shoots that fucker right in the forehead. <laughs> Makes him run for a truck. You know right away, they're willing to do anything. Arnold is willing to yeah, do that anything. Yeah, that to me is the fun shoe drop. Because in 99% of the movies you see, that that threat works. We have your kid. We have your wife. We have your husband. That that threat works. It's an, you know it's a, a good narrative device. And, and you're like, okay, here's that point. Uh, that uh, he's going to go, fine, what do you want me to do? Damn it. And nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does not work. They've completely underestimated how he will react in this situation. Instead, uh, Matrix discovers that his truck has been disabled. So he does what all of us would do, which is push it up a hill and then down the other side. What we basically get is a truncated for your eyes only car chase Um, with one of the vehicles being completely out of fucking control. And he has no plan whatsoever. This does not work out. Uh, He ends up crashing this truck and it blows up as all vehicles do in the 1980s. And he instantly gets surrounded by four guys with M16s and nearly beats the fuck out of all four of them. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they can't shoot him. So, and he knows that. So he's just going to beat the holy hell out of them. And he's only stopped by dun, 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 Bennett. He's alive and he's dressed like a night rider in daytime. Dude. Oh, I, I love it. He he's like I said, he wears this crocheted vest that it's just I I I I need to know, did he buy that somewhere or did someone make it for him? It looks like something he got at a Grateful Dead concert. So somewhere there's a backstory to how Bennett acquired this crocheted vest. I feel like he might have murdered someone and just took it off their body and and like his clothing, his wardrobe is just piecemealed from people he's killed. It's like, nuts. When we see him again, 
he we're back to the BDSM thing. He's got a dog collar on, mm-hmm. like it's literally a, a choke, like a choke chain. You could just see costume designers in the eighties being like, "All right, um, you." Pogo stick, you dog collar, you <laughs> face tattoo. Uh, I don't know. What, how do we make villains anymore? At one point, he is wearing a leather t-shirt. I don't know where you get a leather t-shirt, but he owns I it. I have some he ideas fuck where you get some leather t-shirts. <laughs> Probably the same place where you get a choke collar for humans. Yep. <laughs> um, and this is where we learn that uh, Bennett essentially is pissed. He's pissed that he got kicked out of Matrix's anti-South American squad, I guess. For being too violent, we find out. <laughs> That's right. right. The mercenary squad will will fire you for being too violent. <laughs> we're, we're the idea that more violence somehow exists. <laughs> like, what is the HR department in this mercenary squad that they all went to? We're like, is there oh. a measuring device? You know how we can measure like we can measure liquids and electricity and, and weight. Like he, he read, he rated a 6.4 on the V scale. <laughs> like where, I mean, at what point did they bring up his file? And they're like, this guy kills way more people than everyone else. Well, does everyone else kill people? Oh yeah. They, they kill a lot of people, but he's just way higher up the scale. Oh, right. Once you both killed like over 300 people. <laughs> <laughs> It's a blur. He's, he's sort of like, it's sort of like in um, uh, Hot Fuzz where they have to they have to move him because he's just arrested too many people. It just makes everybody else look bad. He's too effective at his job. Yeah, that's a problem. It's not that Bennett was too violent. He was just too good at his job. He's <laughs> making everyone else look bad. He was messing up the grade curve. <laughs> uh, uh, so Bennett plugs Arnold with a tranquilizer dart and Arnold goes to sleep so nicely that you think he was resting on a Casper mattress. And that brings us to our presenting sponsor for this week. No, we haven't been, uh, we haven't got an ad by Casper yet. Fingers crossed. It could, that transition could have worked so well, Casper. Hit me up I on the tweets. I heard that it comes in this box that you can't even imagine how they got it in there. <laughs> oh, you sleep the sleep of angels or a recently tranquilized Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, who doesn't want to sleep like that? Casper? Or, um, or, or a man who has had his, ne- his neck snapped on an airplane and nobody notices. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes sleeping more than horror fans, Casper. So you should sponsor Kill by Kill. <laughs> That's right. Um, when Arnold wakes up, he is surrounded by the ultimate gangbang of 1985 character actors. <laughs> we got it's it's a real awkward stance. Uh, you got uh, David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors. Oh yeah, that that way we can't glance by that. Even people who haven't seen The Warriors know David Patrick Kelly and how Gina. How do we know David Patrick Kelly? Clink, clink, clink. Warriors. Exactly. He's the ultimate scumbag actor. He really is. There is a movie that was on cable constantly during the 80s and has seemed to have disappeared to the the cruelty of time called uh, Dreamscape. Oh, I loved it. And he is such a good villain in it. Yep. He's just he's just one of those villains that really seems to be enjoying being a villain. Yeah, it's like it's not it's not nice to say like, oh, that guy looks like someone who could play a dummy or that guy looks like somebody who could play a junkie. But for some reason, when we say he just has a villain vibe, like that's okay. And David Patrick Kelly is a great weasel. And I'm sure he's a beautiful man in real life, but boy, is he good at playing a weasel. 
he like, is, and he's like he looks like he's about five foot six. He, he, you definitely, <laughs> you definitely could take him in a fight. And, and he's got that voice like, of like not the bully, but the bully's first sidekick, who would be like, "Get him, Bobby, get him." <laughs> <laughs> that's David Patrick Kelly, and that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> he is a fantastic weasel slash toady. He, I mean, all credit to him. I, his career should have. Well, been yeah, you bigger. still have to be a good actor. You can't just yes. be kind of squirrely. I mean, he's also a great actor. <laughs> he he's one of those people who your eye is just instantly drawn to, and he has a great voice too. Uh, we also have Child Plays Two's uh, uh, Charles Meshack, who has a head of hair that I love. I love this haircut. <laughs> I love this concept. The way he is dressed, I, it's like he's either your like your Jungle Cruise captain. Yeah, I don't know he, if the costume designers, did they know what, what movie they were costuming? Is it a contemporary action film? Is it a remake of The African Queen? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's like he came on to set and goes, you know what I feel this character is? He's a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. They're like, great. He's dressed he like that. He reminds me of Poochie. <laughs> Oh my God. It's, oh, he's, he's very, he's very evocative in this. Uh, then of course um, we have Bennett and, and the aforementioned Dan Hedaya uh, sporting a very labored South of the border <laughs> accent that uh, he really tries to make work. Uh, it turns out that he is playing general Arius. Uh, he is the former dictator of Valverde. Uh, a name of a made-up country that has the same ring of authenticity to it as a Madripoor. Somebody should do a podcast that's dedicated just to the fictional countries that are made up in movies. <laughs> a bunch of people have used Valverde over, over the years. I wonder if it actually Stephen D'Souza is actually <laughs> has used it more than one time. I, I feel like it came up in that Street Fighter movie. It's been Ooh. a while since I've seen it. But... So what you're saying is that Commando and... Double Dragon exist in the same universe? Yes, I believe, I believe they do. We're, right, we're talking about the Commandoverse. Commando I, I buy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes more sense than Dark Universe. Sure, let's do it. Yeah, Valverde sounds like something you would order as a side dish at a Churrasco restaurant. Yeah, had, like the tacos Valverde. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like a very nice uh, sauce for a steak. And it turns out that General Arius has basically kidnapped Matrix. He wants him to go back to Valverde, kill the president they currently have that uh, that Matrix uh, put into power and bring Arius back to become the dictator once again. Uh, very prescient for our times. And this is when we cut to the Bradley International Terminal of LAX. And for Uh, those who are wondering, if you ever need to describe the plot of Commando to anyone, there it is. Daughter is kidnapped so that he is blackmailed into killing a a political leader. There you go. Whole plot. We're about to hit that first act twist, baby. Because once they uh, hit Bradley, um, (laughs) Gina, once again, you read my mind. When they all get out of the car, David Patrick Kelly, he's a good foot smaller than everyone else in this movie. It's, it's like it's, it's like, like you, you expect to see like a shot of like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger and the other henchmen, and and then like you have uh, you have Sully, and you only see like maybe like the top half of his face. <laughs> It'd be great if you had a shot and you only saw his hair. Yeah, that would be lovely. <laughs> 
as a short person, I, I relate to Sully. I, I, I'm not a henchman. Oh, I, I also but... love that like, the smallest guy is like the loudest and biggest personality. That, that, you know. um, he's also wearing a suit that seems to be made of material that would line a booth at a Spires. Uh, we learned that Bennett is a terrible business negotiator. Uh, they proposed a hundred grand for this operation, but when he learned that they were going to kidnap Matrix's daughter and force him to do this, he said, "I'll do I'll it, do for, it free. for free." My advice to everyone out there, and there's a lot of younger people who inexplicably listen to our old references. Here's a bit of professional advice for you: one, never work for exposure, and two, never turn down one hundred thousand dollars to kidnap. The child of your rival right i mean flip, flip it just the other way if there's something out there that you'll do for free and someone is going to hand you a check for a hundred thousand dollars smile and take the check <laughs> let the rich person spend their money on you it's okay it's under the table you're not even gonna have to pay taxes on it terrible anyways. negotiating you know how much for the new car 55 grand i'll give you nothing no, <laughs> no it's not gonna work yeah, I don't. You don't want him as your agent. Let's put it that way. Um, this is where we see that they have decided to give Arnold a shapeless gray suit jacket to put over his but tan. Wait, what is the pants. logic of their plan? This guy at his disposal has eighteen GI Joes. <laughs> what? What is the problem of just sending them to do what you want Matrix to do? I get that he's the best, but you got like an unlimited supply of henchmen. <laughs> I he now he sets up General Arias does set up his plan there when they have when they have Arnold just displayed on the table like the Thanksgiving turkey. And that is that the current president trusts Matrix. And so that will allow Matrix to get close and just murder him right away like all right well don't answer don't don't give me luck (laughs) (laughs) i I didn't want a real answer i was just being no no fair point fair point uh i'm sorry but no no i can guarantee that of of all the things that were addressed as this film was stapled together one of them was (laughs) idiot why doesn't he just do it himself whereas their plan of making arnold less look like uh, a, a a mercenary they're sending on a public airline is to go, here's this gray suit jacket over what makes you look like you're about to kill everyone on board. And that makes you more suitable for air travel. He looks like he works at an army surplus credit union. Hey, Arnold in a suit. It, it's like, um, like a, I got no analogy. It just, it's just weird. It just doesn't feel not right. It's like when you dress up, that one cousin who at, at a at a wedding and he's supposed to to walk the ring down the aisle. Yeah, but you know he's a fucking turd. But they've dressed him up in a suit and or it like, just looks and I don't, wrong. I'm not comparing him to an animal, obviously, but it's like when people put a full costume on their pet. I'm like, that's just you know a hat or something is fine, but God, what are you doing to him? Uh, Sully, uh, once they're in the airport, and, oh, there's one thing I want to say when they come in the airport, and that is. This is a great piece of sh- of show. Don't tell. They they're walking through, and Sully's like, you know, did you meet your squad in the army? I Henriquez and I were we served together. It's nothing like war buddies. They walk through a metal detector, and that's how we learn that neither Sully nor Henriquez is carrying a weapon on them. They don't have to tell us. They showed us that the. the it just is perfect. It's chef kiss perfect. <laughs> I love that shit. Do we know, are we shown that Matrix knows that? You know, he looks around when it happens because he's the only one who puts something in a little plastic carry-all tube. 
So that's it's very it just it it's called out like why else would you have that scene there? The only reason is to communicate that he can kill these guys by hand if he can figure out a way to do it that won't cause attention to it. Like how does he? How does he get on this plane and still be, find a way off? So we've got a ticking clock. And, and that leads us into what I think is one of the cleverer aspects of this movie that doesn't really get mentioned. He kills the guy on the plane. Sorry to jump ahead. No. And gets out. And that creates a ticking clock format that, you know, he has to get there before the plane lands and, and, and uh, Bennett finds out. So to me, that's one of the aspects of the movie that like, you know, you're adding now the suspense of the ticking clock. I think there's a, a shape to this that works really well. And, you know, sometimes movies, they don't go as you plan and they just kind of fall together. I think Iron Man, the first Iron Man, it's the same way. Like that thing was a fucking mess while they were making it. But something about the charm, something about the shape, it just, it all falls into place. Yeah, and I think in a lot of cases, it's like your your work print or your director's cut could be problematic, but you have some of the best editors and producers and filmmakers in the world, and you can get a very good movie uh, that is, is maybe not exactly what you intended, but you can still get a damn good movie out of footage that has some problems here and there. Uh, we uh, also get the fantastic line in here of uh sully makes a oh we're gonna have plenty of time with your teen daughter and matrix says you're funny sully that's why i'm gonna kill you last which is a quality burn that is only made better by what happens in act two uh it's good stuff uh the (laughs) flight attendant on this particular flight is uh one of them is chelsea fields uh you might have seen her in masters of the universe uh, she's probably in this because she lost out on the Ray Dong uh, Chong role, is my guest. And this was this was her consolation prize. And they take their seats. Uh, Matrix, quick thinking, asks for a blanket and pillow. Uh, <laughs> he's constantly making jokes this entire time at Henrique's uh, expense. And Henrique's uh, says, "If you say something one more time." I I I don't know sure what his threat is, but basically he could nail uh, nail his lips shut. Nail your lips shut. Yeah, I I love this scene because just as he he drives his elbow into his face and then snaps his neck and nobody even flinches. Now this is not the weirdest thing that people are concerned about in, on an airplane. Granted, I, they're they're flying first class, and and. <laughs> I realize that there's a little bit more leg room in, in first class and one might not notice. <laughs> Let's look at it another way. Let's say the three of us are on a plane and mm. a guy in front of us is like trying to get something out of the overhead container. And then he like kind of stumbles and it's onto his friend like forcefully, but you're like, Oh, oh, sorry. We wouldn't think anything of it. We wouldn't know. We'd be like, we're sitting at, where's the note? Now we're all sitting behind a corpse. <laughs> A corpse that is going to spend the rest of this flight slowly peeing and pooping as there's no muscle control <laughs> left in it. That's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, we, it would have been funny if, like, two or three times during the movie, they just cut back to the... <laughs> like, did, did, the, did, did the attendant never ask him if he wanted a soda? Like... <laughs> We, we He's forget been asked all, we, not to be disturbed, so we, we, we forget that all going. that. We, we forget all that because Matrix literally rips his way out of the airplane. Rips, yeah, <laughs> with his rips. bare hands. No, no, describe rips. You know? <laughs> he, he 
uses his fingernails. Yeah. Does he have Freddy gloves on? Does he have a really big Coke nail that I'm unaware of? How does that work? He just opens up a panel and, you know, you know, like tears through it like a paper bag. Yeah, as one does. That's how I get, that's how I get onto planes. I go underneath <laughs> and I break through the bottom and sneak in and, and get a ride, free ride wherever that flight's going. Along the way of his passenger 57 exit, he he passes a dog who barks in the wrong direction the entire time. I, I really love that part. But yeah, he gets out on the wheel of this plane and the front wheel. And so here's the deal. How do you get off of a moving plane when all that's in front of you is concrete? And he looks down and has a second to think, can I tuck and roll out of this? And the moment he does, that's when the the airplane's nose starts to lift. And he's like, oh, fuck. Now, here's a bit of reality here. This plane would conceivably be going between 150 and 180 miles per hour. There are wetlands to the west of LAX that are mandated by the federal government. They, they, They are supposed to suck up sound and jet fuel. And so, yes, you could conceivably leap off the front of a plane and land in wetlands in LAX, but your body would skip off of that water like a rock on a fucking lake, but that's not what happens here. It's still badass. It is pretty good escape from a plane, and and, and I'm keeping that knowledge in the back of my head if I ever have to, <laughs> if I'm ever flying out of LAX now and I have to get off the plane. <laughs> that's right. I have to. Look out towards the Pacific. You'll you'll see them there. Um, and it's a real smooth Texas switch. Looks like <laughs> looks like somebody jumped off the top of a cherry picker and then Arnold <laughs> pops out. You'd be like, Cut, uh, can you give it like a second? You know, like you couldn't physically get up that quickly. Let's try it again. <laughs> he just he just softly lands and then he's raring. But to I go. just I love what Lester is doing there because in every scene he's like you, you you don't need that shot of him coming back up into frame, but each sequence is showing urgency. He's moving to the next mo like he's not stopping. He's a man on a mission. That's right. He has he has a harder time getting that gray jacket off than he does getting out of that airplane. Uh, but that just shows you what kind of a badass you're dealing with. Uh, then we uh, he sets his his watch. Uh, for 11 hours as he sees the airplane take off and it starts beeping as if it's a microwave oven. That is a very loud beep on that watch. Well, you need to know when your alarm is set. (laughs) That's right. It's one step away from that clock and escape from New York. It is very loud and very obvious. (laughs) That's right. The audience needs to know. Uh, We then get to see some mediocre running from Arnold. Running is not a strong suit. It's not everyone's. Uh, he hops on the back of a fire truck. Uh, apparently, they're not looking at the back or anything like that. Nobody's looking at anything in this movie. No, no. Nothing. Everybody is completely oblivious. This was LAX in 1984. Like, people weren't paying attention I, to I shit. I got places to go, man. <laughs> I don't have time for this shit. That's the social uh, commentary, man. <laughs> it's like the metaphor. It's like, man, LA can't be bothered with all this craziness going on around them. They're all just going about their own way in the hive mind. <laughs> uh, so that, unfortunately, is where we must stop. But I don't even get Braidon Chong. Uh, no, no. <laughs> well, your no, next that- guest is in for a treat because she is a absolute one of the highlights of this movie. And 
in my opinion, one of the only people who gets how silly the movie is. <laughs> I love her scream in this, and I'm going to hear a lot of it. Uh, but uh, she is a lot of fun. In the, and I, I think it's very enjoyable uh, casting because they could have gone in a very obvious direction. I don't feel like Ray Don Chong is, but she's also a very California girl. Like she's not out of place in this environment. Yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, but the fun isn't over, folks. It's that time once again for America's uh, game show that they're unaware of completely. It's called Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that is where we decide of the deaths that we have covered in this section of the film, which one we might choose for ourselves and why. So up for bid are shot by an Uzi by garbage assassins. No. Run over slash defenestrated by a Cadillac in no. Encino. Uh, blown up on a fish trawler in Long Beach. No. Um, shot to death by an M16. Definitely uh, no. <laughs> stabbed through the throat. Um, and then uh, elbowed to a broken neck on an Bam. airplane. That's the one I want. <laughs> That's the one I want. It, it's just a quick shock. Ah, wait, wait. Oh, no. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Cracked your neck. It probably hurt for a split second, but I yeah. mean those guys who got run over and shot, oh god, that would be terrible. They might they might have suffered. But the thing is, you're going to have to wear that outfit around for a couple of days before it happens, Scott. So, can you pull off a pith helmet? Sure. Okay. I'm dead. I like who that cares? confidence. I mean, I'm I'm sitting on an airplane for 2 days. Who cares? At least I didn't get shot in the face. <laughs> All right, Gina, what say you? I, too, am going to take uh, neck snapped on an airplane, mostly because uh, anybody who travels with me can tell you that I have a great deal of difficulty sleeping on airplanes. I, I'm often stuck just Ditto. watch watching whatever you know the in-flight entertainment is. Oh, and you know what the worst is? When you're really sleepy and you mm -hmm. still can't sleep. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're just in that punch <laughs> drunk kind of constantly. And it checking. makes you irritated. You're like, yeah. I should be slumbering, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly i mean the, the last movie i had to watch on a plane because i couldn't sleep was was independence day 2 and the 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 so you can imagine the sort of punch drunk desperation that that would have caused woman let me tell you something i love <laughs> love to champion unliked movies but boy is that terrible boy is that a bad <laughs> it, freaking it is the pits yep. but no. yeah i i would like to be able to sleep if you want to call that on, on a plane for a little while, just I mean, was. I know people would say like, oh, why don't you just take drugs? But like, if you could just flip a switch and sleep for four hours at your will, oh, would that be a gift? Just 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 put a blanket, just snap my neck and put a blanket right, on Right, like me. you have a magic blanket and it, it, it automatically you sleep for four hours whenever you use it. <laughs> exactly, <Boom>. exactly. <laughs> I like this plan. Let's work it up. Let's workshop it. Let's start selling it on late night TV. Uh, I'm all for it. Um, I'm just going to say blown up on a fishing trawler in Long Beach just because Brevity. it's my hometown now. So, okay. th you know, I got to live and die. You in think Long that's Beach relatively, I mean, yeah, that, that would be almost similar to the next snap because like you go, oh shit, I'm in the middle of being blown. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like The concussive power of that basically snaps your neck. Right. I think You're what not we're even all deeply fine. aware of is not so much death, but the awareness of immediate death. I think that's yeah. what everybody is deeply afraid of. Because <laughs> we all know we're going to die, but nobody wants to have that. I'm literally about to die. That's awful. <laughs> yes. Um, and so before we all die, uh, let's talk about the things that are keeping us alive at the moment. And and we do that by discussing our current projects. And you have a lot of them. Scott, why don't you tell our audience all about them? 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I co-produced a film a few years back called Found Footage 3D, and it was uh, acquired by Shudder, who were great to, great to us, and the fans really took to it, the ones who have Shudder, and now uh, the company has decided they're going to put out a handful of films on DVD, and one ours is one of them. Uh, we're very grateful because they they have a, you know a dozens of movies to choose from, and ours was one of the first wave. So that that is, from what I gather, should be out September 4th of this year, being our Lord's 2018. <laughs> and I'm uh, writing something with my found footage 3D director called Stop, and we made a short film version, and we're hoping to sell the uh, or or maybe get funded and make them film ourselves. Uh, and of course, it, my writing is all over the place. You can find me on Twitter at Scott E. Weinberg, and uh, 80s all over. If you like movies, check it out. Just a couple episodes, you'll know within one or two episodes if you like it. If you don't, great, no problem. And if you do, thanks. It's a fantastic show. I give it my complete seal of approval it is absolutely addicting. And I love the bonus episodes. I think I was one of the first 30 people who signed up for your Patreon. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, thank you both. And, I appreciate uh, it. Well, the, the amount of research you guys have to do makes uh, watching a Friday the 13th movie over and over again, uh, look like, well, it's complete bullshit. What yeah, we all have our little, <laughs> we, we all have our obsessions. You know, there are some people who are addicted to the Hallmark channel movies. And there are some people who do an entire blog like you about the dispatches in movies. Uh, uh, you know, there's, and no, no niche too small. You will find 10, 20, a thousand fans who are like, I'm into that niche. Uh, so, you know, Drew and I just wanted to come up with, uh, I pitched him, um, we've been friends for a long time and I pitched him on a podcast idea. He said, I don't love that, but keep, let's keep, you know, coming up with different ideas. And we threw a couple of, you know, ideas back and forth. And I was like, well, this one's a big one, but how about eighties where we do, you know, the reviews, uh, per month, blah, blah, blah. And I gave him the whole format January, 1980 is one episode and then on and on. And he went, huh, that one I like. And then he came up with some ideas that made it much more streamlined and more doable. Uh, and, and it's just been great. And my advice to any podcaster out there is try to be not narrow, but find your niche. If you just are about horror movies in general, you, your show could be awesome, but it, it is going to get lost because there are so many podcasts about general horror. So if you were to say, uh, you know, uh, French women in horror, well, they, that's a podcast that where you will find your niche because that's not, you know, oversaturated. Yes, uh, we, we've only been ripped off on YouTube so far. So fingers crossed, because that's <laughs> that's when we'll know we've really made it. Uh, <laughs> no, no one's covered Friday the 13th in quite the same way we have. Uh, at least in podcast form. Hey, Gina, uh, where can people find you on the internets? Well, I write about uh, old television and movies and pop culture at GinaRadcliffe.com. Uh, hey, here's an exciting thing. I have started writing for AlkaHollywood.com. I just recently reviewed um, three movies for Fantastic Fest out of Montreal, so you can look me up there. And I am occasionally on Twitter. I've, I've kind of been on a bit of a much needed break from it um, under Porcelain72. And, uh, you know, 
to for us, uh, there's a very easy way to catch us is on Twitter at Kill by Killpod. Have something longer than 280 characters to say to us. I can't imagine it, but it's happened. Uh, Kill by Killpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Kill by Kill Podcast. We have the Facebook page and group if you want to uh, read anything in more detail, like uh, someone found a passage from an extended uh, Jason X universe book this week. Um, it's that is an interior monologue of Jason in which he refers to himself as Mr. Fuck the end game man. What? I, I don't, you just said a whole bunch of words that I know, <laughs> like I understand all of the words, but in that context and sequence, nope. <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, I only discovered that these books existed like a couple months ago and Brian Collins is trying to chew his way through one of them and it says it's fucking horrible. All and right, someone... well, let me tell you something. Brian Collins is a horror <laughs> genius par excellence and if he's having trouble with it, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> no, they're expensive to boot. But now that I found this paragraph, I am interested in Jason X dark moon because mr fuck the end game man come on cut the fuck on this this motherfucker died drowning in a lake now he's mr fuck the end game man come on <laughs> i think oh. I, fi- I think i figured out what our matching tattoos are gonna say <laughs> is it is it mr is it mr fuck comma the end game man or is it mr quote fuck the end game end quote man no, it's Miss- Mr. Fuck, period, the end game, man. Period. Like he's referring to himself as two different. These are both the nicknames he's bestowed upon himself. What does Jason have to do with sex? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. How would he know what an end game is? What did, it, did a fucking raccoon teach him that one? I don't think I've ever even thought of Jason in the context of a sexual being. Maybe, no. Maybe I'm slightly healthy. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. So yeah, that's the kind of fun you can have with us on Facebook if that's the way you want to go about it. Uh, and so, hey, don't worry. The body count will continue, folks. We'll be back with more Commando next time. So for myself and for Gina and for Scott, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.